All right. Well, we are in Genesis, and we're going to grab a big chunk of Genesis today. Uh, we're going to start in 41, and we're going to go all the way to the first part of 45. And you're like going, wow, that's, that's a lot. Well, well, this is a story that has a lot of traveling in, in it. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of back and forth, and so we're, we're going to jump through some of that. But uh, Genesis, uh, when we left Joseph, he was in prison, and he had been forgotten. And, and the thing I want you to understand is that this is not, you know, we read this, and, and we read it over a few chapters, but it has been 13 years since Joseph was thrown in the pit and then sold by his brother. Thirteen years. Part of that as a slave, the rest of it as a prisoner. And it would be really easy for Joseph to say, God, you've forgotten me here. What are you doing? But all along we saw last week how God blessed him. Whether he was a slave or whether he was in prison, God would bless him and he would turn that blessing out on others. And that's just to remind us, it doesn't matter where you're at. It matters who you're with. He had God with him. And, and when, they, when the right time comes, God exalts. And that's, that's kind of what I, this, this, uh, term, this sermon title, From Zero to Hero. In one day, you know, you know from, from the poor house to the big house, one day, God says, now's the time, let's move. And you know, if Joseph had been kind of hanging around with the obi Mobies, you know, God, what are you doing, you're being in prison, and, you know, if he would have been doing that, do you think he would have been ready to move? No. But he just kept on saying, okay, God, I'm ready when you are. And then it happened. And that's what we're going to see today, how God takes him and uses him literally, literally to save the nation of Israel. Literally to save the nation of Israel. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 41, and let's look at these first eight verses to see what God has to say to us this morning. 41, now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. And then behold, seven other cows came up from them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And then Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. And then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled. And so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt. 
and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them the dream, but there was no one who could interpret the dream, interpret them to Pharaoh. Well, we live in an age where a lot of people are having dreams. You know, you, you can go on the internet and say, well, God sent me this dream and this is what it means and this is what's going to happen. Well, I got news for you. Uh, sometimes a dream is just a dream. When is a dream just a dream? Well, I want you to understand something about dreams in the Bible. They're mentioned 93 times. Dreams are mentioned 93 times in the Bible. 92 of those are either before the crucifixion or they quote the Old Testament. One time, dreams are mentioned after the crucifixion and it's in the book of Jude and it says this, Yet in the same way these men also by dreaming, what? Defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Wow, he's talking about people, in the book of Jude is about men who have come into the church to deceive the church. And they're the ones who are having dreams. I just want to caution you about when somebody says, oh, I have a dream, and this is what it says, be careful where it comes from. Because if I'm reading my Bible correctly, the only reason God sends dreams today is for people to come to himself. Because this book is written to inform us. He doesn't need to use dreams anymore. Dreams only come for two reasons. One is to warn, and one is to tell us the future. Well, what does Revelation say when it closes? I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which is written in this book. See, God has given us this book. And it tells us what we need to know. So we don't have to rely on somebody to have a dream and say, oh, well, this is, what, this is what's going to come happen. Now, do people have dreams that warn us? Oh, I hope so. I hope we're listening to, to the warning because God told, God told uh, Nehemiah, put a watchman on the wall. And you warn the people that things are happening. But those don't necessarily come from a dream because we know what the Word of God says. And in the, in the, uh, there, there's a couple of examples of how God uses the warning. Remember back in Genesis chapter 20, Abimelech had taken Sarah because Abraham said what? She's my sister. And God sent Abimelech, an unbeliever, a dream. And he says, if you touch Sarah, I'm going to kill you. And he listens to it and he says, hey, what's going on? Why did you lie to me? Why did you not tell me the truth? And of course, Abram kind of wanted to wiggle out of that. Well, she really is my sister, you know, type of thing. 
But God sent Abimelech a dream to warn him. And later on we see God sent Abraham a dream and he, he talks about the covenant. And he sends Jacob a dream. And all of these are, are talking about the future. He poor, Here's a, a Joseph, you know, here's this kid in prison. And the, the cupbearer has a dream, right? And the baker has a dream. And he interprets those. So God has sent these dreams because his word was not complete yet. But we have his word. We need to rely on the word of God. And if anybody ever says, oh, well, I've had this dream from God, I want you to take the word of God and say, okay, show, show me in the word of God where your dream is. Because God's already given us everything we need to know. Well, let's continue on because I want to I show you uh, how God uses Joseph. And so we're going to go to verse 9 through 16, and we're going to follow this story along. And then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, I would make mention today of mine own offenses. I forgot Joseph. I told him I would tell you about him. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had a dream the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, a Hebrew youth was there with us, the servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And we related to him, and he interpreted the dreams to us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, but he hanged him, the baker. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. Unless you thought this was kind of some sweet place that he was living, they brought him out of the dungeon. And then they, when they had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it about you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And there's a couple things I want to pick out of here. First of all, it said, the, the, the cupbearer said, there was a Hebrew youth that was in prison. God uses young people. Now, a lot of times we, we look at young people, we go, oh, wait, 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 you know. They're, they're not experienced enough. They need more time. But I want you to know, God throughout the Bible uses young people. I want you to think about Esther. Esther was said she was a young virgin. And not only that, she was an orphan. She was being raised by her uncle. How about David? David was the baby of the family. I can relate to David. I'm the baby of the family. He could, they wouldn't even let him go fight. His brothers were all 
fighting on the front lines and David had to go, hey, here's the cheese and the, cheese and the bread from dad. But what did, David, what did David do? He stood up to Goliath. He killed Goliath. Throughout the Bible, you see where God uses young people. Matter of fact, um, some of the greatest books we have written in the Old Testament, Daniel. Who was Daniel? He was a kid when he got snatched along with three of his friends, right? Who do we, what's their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's, that's, all of their, that's all of their names that were given to them. But all four of these young men had tremendous faith, and yet they were kids. And God used them. So when somebody comes up to you and, and as a young person says, oh, I want to do this for God, don't poo-poo them. Don't say, oh, you need experience. Come, around, come alongside of them and help grow them. And, and, and you know some of the greatest mistakes you can ever make is, is when somebody puts you, shoves you out of the nest and says, go forth. I remember as a 20-year-old, I had finished my first year at Liberty, and I was coming home from school uh, to our, our home church over in Lebanon, and the pastor was, was going to be leaving for another church. And my pastor, without asking me, said to the elders, well, you know, Ben's coming home for the summer. You need to let him fill the pulpit while, you go, while you're looking for a new pastor. Man, I got home and, and the elders came up and said, we want you to do pulpit supply for the summer. My eyes got about this big. I mean, you talk about getting shoved into the deep end when you just barely made it across swimming. But, you know, God used that in my life to grow me in amazing ways. Don't, you know, we need to, we need to listen to what God says. As a matter of fact, Paul said about Timothy, Timothy was this young preacher that he took under his wing. Let no one look down on your youthfulness but rather in speech and conduct and love, faith and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Don't let them look down on you. Now, all of, some of us more mature citizens of the world, right? Whatever title you want, said, "Woo, that puts a load off me. Uh-uh. How old was Moses when he got kicked out of, out of Egypt when he ran away? He was 40. How long did he spend in the desert? 40 years. God was training him. He came back to Egypt. He was 80 years old when God sent him back to Egypt to rescue them. So you guys aren't out of the woods. God will still use you. We need to, we need to have that balance. But, but we have a responsibility to raise up that next generation. And we need to be encouraging them to be working for God. Well, the second thing I want you to see is what he says in verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph put his reliance in God and not himself. Because he knew there was, what answer would he have? 
but God had given him some great wisdom. But he put his reliance in God. And that's important. Now we're going we're gonna to skip into this story, verses uh, 41, 17 through, through 37, and I'm just going to talk about this because this is a repeat of 1 through 8. Pharaoh tells Joseph his story. And we've already heard that, right? He told him his dreams. And this is kind of a weird dream. You ever, it's like, what kind of pastrami did you eat last night before you went to bed? You know, we got, we got fat cows and skinny cows and cows, you know, that's the Oscar, no, that's the Oscar Mayer commercial. Uh, but we have, we have all of this going on and Joseph sits there. Now, I want you to think about this. Daniel quite often would say, hey, king, let me go pray about this and I'll come back and give you the answer. Daniel doesn't have that. Daniel's standing before the king. He rolls this out and he has to give an answer immediately. And he does. He says, hey, king, this is what this means. The fat cows, seven good years. Seven cows, seven good years. You we're going to have a lot of abundance. And then we're going to have seven years of rough times. Seven years of famine. That's going to take everything that those seven nice years grew. And he says, the fact that you had both the cows and the grain tells us that it's something that's going to happen soon. And then I want you to watch what David, or what David does. Wow. What Joseph does in verse 33, he gives him some advice. Now, boy, I tell you what, if you're going to give the king advice, you better be spot on. It has to be from God and not from you. And so in verse 33, he says this, Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt and let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him extract a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under which Pharaoh has authority and let them guard it. And let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and all his servants. I mean, what kind of boldness does he have? Pharaoh, I've got a business plan for you. It's kind of like standing in front of the shark tank, right? This is what you need to do. You've got seven years. You take 20% from everybody, 20% tax. You're going you're gonna to save that all up. You're going to put it in the different places it comes from. And then when the seven years come, we'll have plenty. That's a pretty good plan. Who gave it to Joseph? God did. God said, I'm going I'm to give you the answer to this, and he did it right there. Well, now we go to Genesis, the, the last part of this chapter, chapter 41, and it starts this way. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom 
there is divine spirit. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you on this, notice Pharaoh knew where it came from. God has informed you on all of this. There is, one, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house. According to your command, all the people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see that I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments from the fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. And it goes on to tell the other things that that Pharaoh did for Joseph. That morning, where was he? He was in the dungeon. And where is he? God took him from a zero to a hero, didn't he? He said, you're going to save literally the world. Did, did, Dan, did, did uh, Joseph ask for the promotion? Did Joseph say, I'm the guy? Let God promote you. Let God do the work. When God's ready, he'll say, it's time. I want to lift you up. You're ready. I prepared you for this time. And then let God promote you. I remember a time in my police career, I had tested for a promotion, and and I had tested number one. And uh, I thought the process was all done, and then the chief decided he was going to add one more piece to the selection process, a chief's interview. And lo and behold, the number two person got promoted. And there's a lot more to the story, but you kind of get what's going on. And man, everybody, all my, you know, my sergeant came to me, my lieutenant came to me, and he says, you know, this isn't right. You, you did this fair and square. Uh, you know, you need to sue the department. For, you know, and I said, no. You guys, no. Just settle down. It's okay. God knows what's going on. And they kind of looked at me like, are you ignorant? This is not the way the world works. If you want it, you have to, you have to claw and scratch and, and, and to get to the top. I said, no. And lo and behold, six months went by. All kind of drama ensued with the person who got promoted. And, and one, of the, one of the interesting things in law enforcement is when they do a promotional ceremony, it's this big event. They have cake and coffee, and your, your family gets to come in, and somebody gets to pin the badge on you, and, and they present you with your new insignia and all that. Six months later, the chief walked up to me in the back hallway with a paper bag that had my badge and my stripes in it and said, I was wrong. You deserve this. So, but you know, God used it. It was God's working in his timing. Now, I could have done what everybody said, and, and, and you know, it would have just, everybody would have looked at me like, well, he's just another one of those guys who are scraping and trying to get to the top. But God used it for his glory. He used it, and, and he's going to use Joseph. 
And for seven years, Joseph goes around and, and, and he creates big silos in all the cities and, and he collects all of this stuff, all of this food, all this grain. And he collects all of that and he spreads it out all over Egypt. And he's ready for the seven bad years. And during that time, God blesses him. He, he's given, uh, Pharaoh gives him a wife uh, of an Egyptian priest. And he has two kids. And they're going to become pretty prominent, aren't they? Who are they? Manasseh and Ephraim. They're going to become the half-tribes, right? The half-tribe of Manasseh. They're, they're going to become part of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God just blesses him. And that's where 41 ends. Is we've had seven years of wonderful things. Just as God said. But he doesn't leave those seven wonderful years all by themselves. What else is coming? What did the dream say? Seven bad years. It's going to be tough times. Hard times are coming. In, in chapters 42 and 40 to 44, we see how Israel gets involved in this. Israel tells 10 of his sons, Benjamin, he doesn't want to leave because he's afraid of what might happen. He sends 10 of his sons down to Egypt. He says, go on down, buy food. I've heard there's food down there. And they get down to Egypt. And who do they run into? Brother Joseph. But they don't recognize him. They don't even realize who he is. As a matter of fact, in verse 7 of chapter 42, it tells us that Joseph disguised himself from them and spoke to them harshly. Now remember, it's been 13 years. I mean, I want you to look at your, your high school senior picture and look at you at the age of 30. Get a picture from you changed a little bit. And I want you to think about, about what else was going on. He would have changed his whole appearance. He would have lived at these guys were shepherds that lived out in the that, that camped out. They were weathered. They had grown old. Where did Joseph live the last seven years? In the well, the last seven years he'd lived in the palace. He had had all he wanted to eat. He had had everything he needed. He had the, he had the best. My daughter, my daughter works for the hair club for men. I am not a client. I mean, he had the best people to come shave his head. He spoke Egyptian. And they roll up going, man, we need food. We're, we're worried. And, and they see this guy standing up there talking to him. And in Egyptian, they didn't recognize him. They didn't have a clue. And, and Joseph could have said, hey, guys, hi, how you doing? I'm Joseph, your brother. I entitled these two chapters, Joseph Messes with His Brothers. <laughs> because he does. And I, you know, I can't blame him. You know, these, these ten guys show up, the ones that have threw him in the pit. And he says, you're spies. You just came down here to spy out the land. And they kind of spill out their, they spill their guts, you know, they're feeling terrible because of what they've done already. But they said, yeah, we, we have, there's another brother at home. 
and one has died. And they're telling, their, they're telling this story. No, we're honest, man. And he says, well, do, is your father still alive? Yeah, dad's still alive. He's back in the home country. He still lives at home in a big house. He sent us down here. And Joseph says, well, I don't believe you. But I don't want anybody to starve. So he gives them their, gives them their grain that they're asking for. And then he puts their money back in the sack. Because, you know, he is, still is a good brother, right? He says, I don't want to. I, you know, I don't want to take anything out of their pocket. Puts that back in. But he says, I'm going to keep Simeon in jail here until you come back with that little brother that tells me you are who you say you are. He wants to see Benjamin. He wants to see his baby brother. And so he sends them off, and they get outside of town, and they realize, wait a second. Our money's back in the bag. And they go on home and, and they, they're telling dad, hey dad, you know, this is what happened. And, and he said, if we're to get more grain, that we have to bring Benjamin back. And he says, mm-mm, I, I'm not letting my baby boy go. I've already lost Joseph. Simeon's in jail. What am I going to do? No, he's not going. And that's all well and good until they run out of food. And when you run out of food, you kind of change your mind a little bit. So, they, so they, they go back down and they're taking Joseph back down or Benjamin back down with them. And dad's saying, you know, dad's just like going, don't, don't let him die down there. And they get back down there and Joseph, he wants one more time, man. He just rakes them over the coals. Matter of fact, he, they, and Jacob, and it's an interesting little change in word. He goes from being Israel, and he call him Jacob again in this story. Because what does he do? He says, I'm going to bribe him. I want you to take myrrh, and I want you to take all of these herbs and stuff that from where we grow here that he doesn't have there. I want you to take that down. I want you to bribe him. And take all the money you're with. That you, that you took down the first time, and double that to go back. Jacob's back to his old tricks. He, he's back to Jacob again. I'm going to buy my way out of this problem. But Joseph's sitting down there. They get back there, and he says, hey, come on, come on in. Y'all come in to the big house. You're going to come and eat dinner with me. And they're concerned about that. And I want you to look at 42... Verse 28, 42-28. And when he said to his brothers, my money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack, and their hearts sank, and they trembled to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Guilt is a huge price to pay for sin. Thirteen years have passed, and they're still guilty over what they did to Joseph. God's making us pay the price. They're guilty over what has happened. And they go back down, and he fills, once again, he fills up their bags, right? He says, you guys take back, put the money back in the top, and then he says, to the youngest one, Benjamin, I want you to put my gold, my silver cup in his bag. 
and off they leave and they get just out far enough away from, from town to stop for the night and they open up their bags to feed their donkeys and guess what? The money's there. But then all of a sudden shows up his chief steward, the guy that's been filling their bags all this time. And he says, hey, one of you guys stole from my master, stole his silver cup from which he divined. You stole his silver cup. Why would you do that? And they, they make a big scene. No, we would never do that. If you find it, you can have him. And guess whose bag it was in? Benjamin's. I mean, Joseph had had the promises, or Judah had had the promises two sons to, that, he, that they would return with Benjamin. And now he's gone. They haul him off, and here goes all of the ten, all of the eleven brothers back. And they come in before they come in before Joseph. And in 44, he makes this, this big deal of them. He's, he makes a big dinner and he sets all of them out and he sets them in birth order. Wow. What's going on? Birth order? How does he know this? He sets them out in birth order. And it says, because the Israelites were an abomination to the to the. Egyptians, he made them sit all by themselves over here. But down the row he goes and he's feeding them from his table and he, he gives Benjamin the biggest portion, five times what everybody else got. They're all kind of like, going. they think they're, they think he's going to cut our neck off. Then we come to Genesis 45. Genesis 45, I want you to turn there because this, this is the piece I do not want you to miss. Because we can look at everything that Joseph has gone through and say, wow, 13 years as a slave and in prison and how terrible, and, but God raised him up and then seven years of the famine and now, or seven years of, of the feasting and now we've got, we're into the famine and I want you to look at verse 45, or chapter 45, the first eight verses. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Some things you just do in private. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Can you imagine what happened when he said those words? If you were one of the ten that put him in the pit... What, what would you have been doing about then? I mean, your knees would have been knocking. You're like going, oh, oh, no. 
Say it isn't so. Tell me it's not you. He says, is my father well? Is my father alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Ooh. You sold me 13 years ago when I was a kid. I didn't even get to go to my senior prom. You sold me. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the, in the land these two years, and there is still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me, but God. And that's where we're going to stop. God is always looking ahead of us. He's always preparing the way for us. He sent Joseph ahead, 13 years ahead. Because actually by this time it's 15 years. Because they'd had two years of famine. Joseph said, God sent me ahead of you. God prepared the way for you. God used me to get things ready to preserve all of Israel. And we're going to see a magnificent story ahead of how God did that. But God is always looking ahead of us. I want you to think of, I mentioned earlier, little Miss Esther the orphan Jewish girl picked out of a crowd. You're pretty. You've got a nice smile. You've got beautiful hair. Come to the king's harem. Wow. Who could use me? And, and lo and behold, God blessed her again and said, I'm going to make you queen. Can you imagine what she felt like? Queen Esther. This poor little orphan Jewish girl. She's now queen. And then in that story, what happens? Somebody wants to destroy all of the Israelites. And then we come to this verse, Esther 4.14. Mordecai is talking to Esther, Queen Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. God had prepared the way. 
God had took this little Jewish girl and he had prepared her to be the queen that saves all of the Jewish people worldwide. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. You see, God's working in all of our lives. And some of us he's preparing. Some of us are a Joseph. Some of us are an Esther. Some of us are a Daniel. But he's preparing us. And he's always going ahead of us. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one can hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man somebody may dare to even die. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that when? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's always going ahead. He's always preparing the way for us. While we were yet sinners. I am so glad that God saw me as a sinful person and said, you know what, I still love you. I love you so much that even before you were ever born, I made a way for you. I made a way on the cross. 